to this week's episode of Juicing the Big Screen, your movies review and discussion podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracing. And I am Corwin Eller. And if you're listening to this, it means that the Oscars are upon us as the uh, awards ceremony will be taking place this upcoming Sunday, um, May 27th. So we're really in the final goings here. We're a little bit back. We have a couple movies for a couple awards that we um, haven't gotten the chance to watch, which Corbin and I are going to do our best to try to watch before we do an Oscars wrap up um, after the awards. So after this episode, Corbin and I will not be picking new movies to full length discuss. After this episode will be us going through the winners and what we would have predicted. Last year, we had done a predictions episode, but because we're short on time, it's not going to happen. And honestly, oh, well. Um, so instead, we'll just do a full recap with who we would have thought would have won, uh, who did win, you know, thoughts on, on their performances or whatever category it may be. Uh, and we'll, you know, like I said, we'll do our best to watch the, the two remaining movies for the major categories that we did not get the chance to watch. So anywho, in the meantime, though, or we won't or we won't and we'll just lie. <laughs> a totally credible thing that could happen. Uh, not not taking it off the table. So in the meantime, we have three movies that we did watch today to talk about. So uh, we're just going to go ahead and jump into it. It'll be the same format as we did last week in which uh, we'll all just start them because we didn't really pick them individually. We picked them as a team. So uh, our first one, let's start with Dune, which Dune. Uh, was directed by Dennis Villeneuve. It was written for the screen by John Spates, Denis Villeneuve, and Eric Roth. Uh, this is, of course, based on the book by Frank Herbert. Uh, this film stars Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, and Zendaya. That's how they're ordered on IMDb, although it is kind of wacky because Zendaya is really not in this movie very much. Um, also in this movie, though, is Oscar Isaac, Stellan Skarsgård, Jason Momoa, Josh Brolin, Javier Bardem, Dave Bautista, uh, everybody you would, I guess, really be interested in seeing in the movies. Uh, this film has an estimated budget of $165 million, a cumulative worldwide gross, from what I see anyway, of $400 million, which is certainly, which really should be lauded as a gigantic success especially considering this was a partial streaming movie, uh, you know, released in theaters and also on HBO Max and is still a COVID movie. So for the movies that we've looked at for COVID productions that are not superhero movies, this has to be the best performing one financially. Uh, right? I, I have no doubt in my mind that it is. I just can't think of a movie that also got this broad of a release. You know, like I yeah. know it was put on streaming. I know that there's just a whole lot there to kind of hold back from the fact that, you know, it did win the box office crown for this year. But uh, I don't really think there were many true competitors. Yeah, but honestly, I think that speaks to its success because, you know, we there aren't a lot of movies that have even gotten the consideration to do that because of it, I guess, the risk associated with it. So really, congrats to this movie for being able to do it. It is very impressive. Uh, it is a very impressive movie. The tagline for it is beyond fear. Destiny awaits. 
I don't hate it. Gotta say, yeah. I don't hate this I mean, one. It, it's accurate. It just seems very cliche almost. Like, which a tagline should exactly be. exactly what I would expect it to be. Right. My, I did not cringe. I'll put it that way. That is fair. That is usually the case. Uh, this film is nominated for 10 Oscars. It is nominated for Best Sound for Mac Ruth, Mark A. Mangini, Theo Green, Doug Hempfel, and Ron Bartlett. Best Achievement in Visual Effects for Paul L- Lambert, Tristan Miles, Brian Connor, and Gerd Nefzer. Best Gerd. Achievement in pro- Gerd Nefzer. Uh, best Achievement in Production Design for Patrice Vermette, Zuzana Sipos. Uh, best Achievement in Music Written for Motion Pictures Original Score for Hans Zimmer. Best Achievement in Film Editing for Joe Walker. Best Motion Picture of the Year for Mary Parent, Denis Villeneuve, and Kale Boyder. Best Achievement in Makeup and Hairstyling for Donald Moat, Love Larson, and Eva Von Barr. Best Achievement in Costume Design for Jacqueline West and Bob Morgan. Best Achievement in Cinematography for Greg Fraser. And Best Adapted Screenplay for John Spates, Denis Villeneuve, and Eric Roth. Uh, The film is about a noble family who becomes embroiled in a war for control of the galaxy's most valuable asset while its scion becomes troubled by visions of a dark future. which really, yeah. if you haven't seen the movie, I'm not sure that description really makes all that much sense. There's literally um, nothing for you. <laughs> yeah, right. That is one of the rare descriptions that honestly makes the movie seem more confusing than it already is. <laughs> which, by all means, might make me want to watch the movie more. I guess, and yeah, I guess it depends so on your level of intrigue. Regardless. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, again, with the formatting, I'll, I'll just start. This, it's an interesting kind of situation when you have a movie series that knows it's going to be a movie series and how it will break up that information. And I think Dune is technically amazing. And I think really as a complete product, it is a very, very good movie. But I also had to fight the feeling while watching it of, oh, none of this is going to pay off in this movie. Almost none of the setup is going to pay off at all. And guess what? By the end of the movie, it does not. It absolutely does not. Which I am fine with. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that ruined my movie viewing experience because I want there to be more of this movie. Like, I want there to be part two. And I am looking forward to there being part two. And I wasn't watching this for it to be a one-off experience like how you can kind of watch Lord of the Rings part one, you know, the fellowship or how you can just watch uh, Star Wars, a new hope and just be cool with watching either of those two movies. I didn't think it would be that one, but it is still weird to watch a movie that does that. Um, But regardless of that, being along for the ride, it's so fucking captivating. The, the visual of it, the, the, I mean, the scope of it really is, the movie feels gigantic. Mm-hmm. The movie really, really feels absolutely colossal, which is a tough thing to capture. That's one of the things that makes the original Star Wars trilogy so good because it can be difficult to capture scope like that. You know, that's why oftentimes sci-fi movies that deal with space stuff usually confine themselves 
to within a craft or on a single planet or you know if there's going to be multiple locations it's a little bit more sparse than this this really made it feel like a space odyssey it is huge mm. uh corbin let me hear what you thought about it um i love this movie uh i love this book to begin with so i really was only ever excited to see this movie this year uh there were incredibly few others but we've gone over that um i think from a technical sense sense uh it was nearly perfect um the grittiness the the texture that the film has it does so much to draw you into the world of arrakis and the world of caladan and the atmosphere that those planets bring you know you are sitting there watching it and you can almost feel the sand between your fingertips and you can feel the sun beating down on you you can feel the mist splashing on your face as if you were there and i don't know the last time i watched a movie and felt that as a takeaway i mean there's plenty of films that do a good job immersing you in the in the theater immersing you you know when you're sitting on your couch at home watching it on your relatively small tv compared to a a theater seat but this was this was something that really stood out and i adored it um comparing it to the 19 what 1980 1990 uh version i want to say 87 i'll look it up yeah i felt like it was late 80s early 90s 84 wow 1984 uh kyle mclaughlin oh my god um i i love this film i can't wait for part two i also can't for the life of me remember where this ended um I have a strong suspicion. I know it was after he defeated Stengar, or not Stengar. Uh, what's the other guy's name? Um, regardless, um, I am just so excited to see where this kind of blossoms in the the second film. Which it drives me insane that they did not greenlight both halves of this film. They were very much okay with just saying, "Yeah, we'll make half a movie." We'll see how much money you make us. Um, I, I don't think that affected the actual shooting of this. Um, it didn't at all feel that way. It didn't feel like Illinois took any shortcuts or had to include anything that he otherwise wouldn't because of the uncertainty around um, the creation of a, a second film. But, um, I mean, I feel like you should definitely assume that you know, you're Denis Villeneuve. You have yet to make a bad movie. Um, there's a fairly good chance this one's going to do well enough to to promote the green light of a, of a second. But yeah, I, I adore this movie. I adore Timothy Chalamet, uh, but I also adore this movie. Yeah, I know how you feel about about Timote. He makes me feel things inside. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he's, he's okay. Um, <laughs> it's also funny. You can tell. This is a gigantic book. Like the 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 book of Dune is very big. Um, let, I'm going to get an actual page count for you because I know it's like it's got to be 700 some odd pages, right? 
Oh shit, four hundred twelve. Wow. Yeah. Wasn't, yeah. That, my recollection of this book is it's way long. Oh, you know why? Because this is not a fun read for a book, from my recollection of it. Because it's a lot of detail. My recollection of this book is, wow, that's a lot of information on one page. Yeah. Right. I I I can't disagree with you. I used to read like a book a day. Like I feel most of us have at one point in our lives, like heavy, heavy reading. And I completely stopped after like early high school. And this was the first book in a long time when I did read it, where it just completely captivated me and I couldn't put it down. And I loved how much detail there was. I loved how much world building there was and, and all the information you could, you know, ascertain from just like a chapter in this book. Um, but I also understand it is a very dense read and it, it may just be lightning in a bottle. Cause I tried reading the second book in the series and that book fucking, shot. I couldn't do it. I, I think I got maybe a chapter in. Um, I, I get it. So. But I, I know that's what can be tough about translating into a visual medium because, and I, these aren't, I'm going to, say things that sound like complaints but i promise you i love this movie <laughs> um because it felt like every scene was in a rush a little bit like they or they cut around so much or you know jumped around i guess you should cut around makes it sound like too much editing um like it almost felt like every scene was a mass every scene was a massive departure from the scene that had just happened because you can kind of readily do that in a book and even tell things intertwined in a way that will make sense to a reader. It's much harder to capture that visually. And we've talked about how, you know, when you're ad adapting books into film, really changing one medium to another in any sense, there are adjustments that need to be made. And it felt kind of wacky watching this because there isn't an even kind of, I don't want to say like it's not a linear story because it is very linear, but it's like the build comes from so many directions, like so many mm -hmm. pieces are trying to be fit together. And there... again, this is not saying that it, that it doesn't do it well. I, I think this is probably the best version of this you could possibly do, but it is a little bit like, oh, shit. Right. Who is that? Who is that? Who is that? We saw them like 20, 30 minutes ago. <laughs> It's not like, you know, Romeo and Juliet, where there's these two opposing forces at ends with each other and, you know, two forces pulling in different directions or pushing from two different directions. I haven't worked this analogy out yet. There's like six different directions that this story is being affected from, um, which I think makes for a great book series or a great, you know, potentially 700 page novel. Um, which I'm so glad they didn't try to shoehorn this into one singular film and they are at least breaking it up because I think if it deserves it. this was the entirety book of Dune in what was it like two and a half hours two and a half hours there's no way this that gets done no no shot and you know in included in all that is also stuff that does not pay off because it's clearly build up for the second movie like the um the thing with the little bugs in timothy chalamet's room right that didn't really like pay all the way off yet right i'm trying to recall the little the little bugs in his room remember the, the the things that were like flying around him i'm not making this up i know this happened little things that were flying around him 
Like the, the thing that tried to the the thing that he caught in his hand in his bedroom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't. I mean, I know that was an attempt to kill him. Right, but it didn't I, pay off in that we have all the details on that plot line yet, right? Well, they found the guy in the wall, the Harkonnen that potentially, you know, put it there. And then there was Master Yoon, who could have been. I don't remember. I, I saw That's what I'm saying. Right <laughs> I don't remember. Um, but that, and you know what? That's fine. It's a big movie, and that's not a function or a failure of the film that we can't recall all these details. It's a function of the source material, um, and, and also a factor. Honestly, okay. of we saw this how long ago? Oh, a couple months, yeah. But honestly, even if this was directly after the movie, I probably still wouldn't be able to tell you all the details because, you know, and and that's kind of I guess I guess what we're like I'm trying to 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 nail down in that like to do a movie like this is so ambitious for that reason. It it is impossible to walk away with this in my mind anyway, or if you are literally me, with a full recollection of events and ability to relay them effectively. Because there's so much. But honestly, like it depends on where you are with films if you can enjoy that or not. For me, I have no problem with that. Like if there is a lot that goes into the story and I'm not going to be able to necessarily be able to regurgitate it, I don't really care as long as it makes sense while I'm watching it and I don't have to call anything out as being obviously weird or or nonsensical or so far removed from where we currently are that it, it doesn't land. And this mm-hmm. film has none of that. But it, it does have, again, a lot of moving parts. Yeah. Um, uh, how about how boy. effective the special effects department was here? Oh, I, I mean, real. dude, they made um, Stellan Skarsgård look insane in the best way. Oh, completely. And I mean, look, Stellan Skarsgård, you know, that is a uh, achievement in its own right. I was fucking floored by how well the worm came across. That, like, I knew it was coming. I knew it would look like. I knew everything about it that I needed to know. That thing was terrifying. I Ooh, so, loved all right. So, it. what what was more terrifying for you, the worm, or when Stellan Skarsgård started to float up to the ceiling for the first time, and all that? black like draped stuff was just below him and he looks like nine feet tall uh, oh boy uh seeing as i can picture the worm in my head and that is a repressed memory um i'm gonna go with the worm uh, but i'm sure if i looked it up or watched this movie again uh it might it might take the top spot because I, I agree, the worm was fantastic and really locked into a part of my existential dread I didn't know I had. Um, but seeing Stellan Skarsgård when he was like, he was like sitting down in a chair at a long table and he starts to what you think is just stand up, but then he just keeps going up to the ceiling and like either his clothing or an ephemeral like black mist, or I forget what it what really was, just kind of sags below him and it looks like he's mm-hmm. fucking like nine, 10 feet tall. And no one really like acknowledged. It was just such perfect horror filmmaking, really, that that you I was not expecting (laughs) that really was just like, oh, fuck, I would be terrified if I was in that room. And you know what? 
you know how rare it is to have that feeling when you're in the presence of the bad guy of the movie? Yeah. Like when Darth Vader walks on set, walks on screen in, in uh, uh, A New Hope, mm-hmm. it's not genuine terror. It yeah. is it is a feeling of known intimidation. Like I recognize that this is the bad guy and I feel the badness that this character right. is meant to emphasize. When... And- uh, when Stellan Skarsgård stands up, I was genuinely afraid. And it's not like there's an immense backlog of information that gives you all of the context for right. why you should fear Baron Harkonnen. Like when you see Harkonnen in that scene, you have one or two scenes prior that you've seen him in. Maybe if that. Yeah. Darth Vader. I get it. That's literally the first time you ever see him, but you have no connection to the lengths that you will you know soon learn he will go to have his way and the exact reason why he is a scary motherfucker and they do such a good job of really getting it across to someone who does not know the story that this is this is someone you should fucking fear and it's what the movie does well across the board for all of its characters. And it really can't be emphasized enough how important that visual element is when you're going from a book to a movie, because you will not have the long pages of description or of table setting, or maybe even like small moments or scenes that a movie has to cut out of a book for time purposes or for continuity purposes. So to be able to so accurate, accurately, visually represent who these characters are and what you're supposed to be interpreting from them. It means so much. And it's what the film again does so well across. I mean, think about how horrible looking Baron Harkonnen Mm -hmm. looked and then think about how scared or intimidated you've ever been by any supervillain in any superhero movie ever. Cause really, I mean, most of them are not scary. Most of them are like, Oh, that is the bad guy. Most of them are not terrifying, even though they are comic book supervillains. There are a few. There are definitely a few like Venom always freaked me out. You know, mm. like, like there, there is definitely a few out there. But when you think about it, it's comparatively it's like Doc Ock is not scary, scary. You know, Green Goblin was terrifying. Green I was Goblin really was struggling to think one. But yeah, Green Goblin was terrifying. And that is 100 percent because it was Willem Dafoe. Yes, well, I because that's Willem Dafoe in his spare time. Yes, that's just real actual Willem Dafoe. He thought he was just hanging out on set. He did not know he was meant to be acting in that film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He definitely just thought like oh, I'm just I'm just there. Oh, the cameras are going. Oh shit. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, neat. I'm in this film. How'd you guys get oh. here? <laughs> I could totally picture Willem Dafoe going to theaters to see that movie. He saw his buddy uh, Toby Maguire in, and it's just like, oh shit, that's me. That kid was an actor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, and that really goes across the board. Like the penguin is, has never been scary. It's a fast, short guy. It's Danny DeVito. Yeah, exactly. Mr. Freeze has not been scary. You know, like most supervillains, even, even Heath Ledger's Joker, which is the best Joker is not scary. He's very compelling and he's clearly dark, but he's not like Baron von Harkening could be the subject of a horror movie. 
-hmm. that's tough. And it's honestly captivating. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, as for the worm, it is made very clear. It's going to be a huge part of book of the second movie. And it was interesting to see it, you know, be referenced and then to see it visually at the, the at the end. Um, but God damn it. I'm excited for, for it in part two. Oh my God. Yeah. I am just picturing the scene where he learns to ride the worms. And that is going to be so fucking cool. That is going to knock my socks off. I'm so excited because when, when you do this much, this well, visually, there's no way it's not going to look absolutely amazing. Yeah. God. Oh, I just realized where the movie ended. It's when he takes his name of Wadib with the mouse and they show the mouse running across the, the desert sand. There it is. Dude, if I'm yeah. wrong, I'm, I'm wrong. Sure. I'll take it. But I think that's right. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, yeah. God, this movie's so gigantic. Like, there's, I feel like we've talked about barely anything with it, but we've already been talking about it for like 20 minutes. I know. Um, oh God, there's so that's much because here. we finally have a good movie to talk about, and it just happens to be one of the most dense movies we've seen in ages. Oh, and I think that's the problem is there's so much here. Like, we haven't even talked about Oscar Isaac's character. Oh, Duke. I loved him as Duke. He was fantastic. He was absolutely fantastic. And and that brings into conversation, of course, the whole politics of the movie, which are also very interesting. I'll be honest. I fucking love politics in movies. People and always this shit is, on Star Wars for that, but that's like one of the best parts. Well, and this is it done exceedingly well with really what is, I mean, Duke Leto being set up essentially to fail intentionally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of the interworkings, not just of the economics of um, the spice, but also the interworkings of the relations between these various houses in this uh, space opera. I mean, it genuinely is very interesting without having to be front and center 100% of the time. Like, they, I, I also think that it did a good job of, of balancing it out well, where you're not looking at too many... Um, like Star Wars esque meetings. Felt like there was a lot of meetings in mm-hmm. Star Wars. Um, it was concise when they did show it, right? And I, I, that, I again, this movie's so fucking big. I'm struggling to like think of what to talk about. But mm-hmm. uh, and I feel like I keep fixating on smaller things. Um, but really being able to give the idea of, um, here's what's happening. Yeah, these scenes are kind of quick. But God damn it, there's no point in focusing on it too hard. Like, you get the point. Uh, really resonated with me. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. when you do have such a in-depth film, you don't want to bog it down with all of the details that otherwise people just aren't going to be able to completely... Like, with a book, you have so much more space to fill that information that people can digest it over that time. You can't do that in two and a half hours with how much shit there is to talk about. Like one of my favorite scenes in the book is when they first go uh, to Arrakis and they have the dinner with 
all of like the local politicians, I guess, and important people from around. And it's just like the first interaction with the people there. And they completely cut it from the movie. I love that because of how much information it gives and how many layers it adds. But that would have bogged down the film so much because that would have been at mm-hmm. least a 30 minute scene. Mm-hmm. And, and it also yeah. helps that they're able to do so many exposition dumps because the I, part of the idea of the movie is that Timothy Chalamet's character is being acclimated more to the or being slowly being given more responsibility, more role, and therefore needs more understanding of how all of this works. Mm-hmm. And so the exposition dumps that are relatively numerous in the beginning of the movie honestly don't come off as that foreign because it also gives insights into Oscar Isaac's character. And the idea that, you know, he is very serious, but also very understanding and and wants to see his son succeed and, you know, wants him to be tough, but uses a a little bit almost like a relatively like somewhere between an iron fist and a a gentle glove, which, you know, has a warmth to it. Like and, and the exposition that he imparts onto Timothy Chalamet really on behalf of the the audience uh, is honestly good character development for him. Mm hmm. Or character building, I should say. Corwin, the movie did a good job. It, yeah. Um, I, I know there's a billion other things to say. I, I guess the only thing that I have that really stands out is this is my movie of the year. This is my best picture. Yeah, obviously we'll talk about the awards part of it more when we do the Oscar stuff. But this is... Uh, it's definitely something I'm going to have to rewatch before Sunday just to, you know, remind myself of a lot of it. Um, mm-hmm. Fuck, this is a good movie. Uh, it might be a good movie. Um, all right. Well, we do have other movies to talk about, and we could literally just sit here and pick out more details of this thing all fucking day. Uh, so let, let's let's move on for the sake of time. Um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a big, fancy space opera, and boy, howdy, are those things fun um, when they're done well, I should say. Uh, looking at you, Star Wars, and your several waste of time movies. Um, but yeah, I, I give this uh, upon pe- review subject to change upon rewatch. I'm giving this a four out of five. Um, I'm going to give it a four and a half with a strong possibility of a five, depending on the second film. Ooh, the retroactive five. Yeah, it's it's the Godfather effect where the sum of all parts is greater than the fact that both of these movies are perfect. Interesting. Right on. Like like both the Godfather films are essentially perfect. The fact that they're one and two in, you know, there's it's a sequel makes them all that more special. Um. Before moving on, just shout out uh, if anyone has any interest. The documentary uh, Alah- or Hodorowsky's Dune is fantastic. Uh, I've watched it several times. I also love Alejandro Hodorowsky. We have talked about his film on this podcast, The Holy Mountain, which is one of my favorite movies. Um, and the I I know, but the documentary is fascinating. Um, it's really interesting. Definitely check it out if you're looking for some more insights as to the thoughts um, behind a wacky dude's mind on how to make this movie. Very interesting documentary. Um, 
All right. So then let's take this on over to Norway and let's talk about the worst person in the world, which is one hell of a claim. Uh, We'll we'll see about that. Uh, This film was directed by I'm going to butcher all these names because I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce this shit in Norwegian. Uh, Joachim Trier. It was written by Joachim Trier and Eskil Vot. It stars Renate Reinsve, Anders Danielson Ley, and Herbert Nordrum. Best guesses. I'm sorry if anyone is offended. Um, This film had an estimated budget of 5 million euros and a cumulative worldwide gross of 9 million euros, which... um, Sure. I mean, it made a profit. I can't imagine you're expecting much more than that um, with Norwegian films. Uh, I have no idea, though. Seemed That seems fine to me. Yeah. yeah. I don't know the exchange rate, so, you know. Sure. Yeah. Um, got no tagline. Got no love. Uh, this one was nominated for two, count them, two Oscars. This is nominated for uh, Best Original Screenplay for Eskilvot and Joachim Trier. Uh, it's also nominated for Best International Feature Film. We've watched a few of the Best International Feature Films. Um, we were hoping to get to it as a category. We ultimately will not have the time to, um, but we did get the chance to watch um, Drive My Car and this. We were just missing Flee the Hand of God and Lunana, a yak in the classroom. Um, if anyone wants to complete out the category, which we will be incapable of doing, check those out. Uh, the film is about, is, it, uh, is, is the chronicles of four years in the life of Julie, a young woman who navigates the troubled waters of her love life and struggles to find her career path, leading her to take a realistic look at who she really is. Uh, so once again, just for the sake of getting into it, I will start. With the title of the worst person in the world, it's really tough to know what to expect. And, you know, given that it's a young girl in the cover art with and she's like running and smiling, I was expecting a lot more debauchery, I guess, a lot more like um, of like a free spirit, go fuck yourself kind of person uh, and definitely not a grounded movie. That's what I guess what I'm getting at. Something uh, very mm. like uh, romanticizing youth, ro- romanticizing uh, uh, the uh, sense of societal rebellion or or self exploration, and really for for its kind of sensationalist title, it really is a quite grounded film, and mm-hmm. uh, you know it it jumps around a little bit in the early goings, and you know you might lose a little bit of the realism that or lose an expectation of the realism that is to come afterwards. Uh, it, it really is very personal and very intimate and, and very real in so many ways and gives such an accurate portrayal for the parts that I think I know, like me specifically can, can relate to that it ends up informing so much more on, on the parts of it that I, I maybe can't and paints such an amazing picture of a time in one's life that I am also very near to. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I absolutely fucking love this. Uh, Corn, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts. Uh, I also love this film. Um, I didn't quite have the same anticipatory, you know, like I saw the title and at first glance, I thought it was going to be a comedy, uh, which it wasn't. Um, same. Exactly. <laughs> 
but I really wasn't expecting anything crazy. Uh, once I noticed that it was uh, in Norwegian, um, I kind of dropped all expectations just because, boy, this is already such a twist. Uh, there's no point in even expecting anything from this. Um, but that being said, I, I really loved how real this film was. You know, I am personally not going through a single one of these things. But boy, it does such an outstanding job just making you feel like you are going through these emotions and these challenges with her. And I am, I don't, I don't even know how to say it because, you know, it's not like I am going through any of these emotions. It's not like it really is making you torn apart by the choices that the character is making. It's just like you're living along with somebody's life. And I know it's, like, it's a weird comparison to make because they both just happen to be Nordic films, but um, it reminded me a ton of another round where it's just, this is my life. This is kind of the choices I've made when I was younger have led to the life I'm living now. And boy, I have to come to terms with that reckoning. And I can't say I'm happy with all the choices and where it's led me. So let's, Let's just try to find a way to mentally make the most of it and learn some lessons and just better the rest of my life. And I, I really just, I don't want to say that just because they were both, you know, Nordic films, but it, it's, it, to me, it was very similar. I, I mean, I didn't even think about that, but I do think you're right. I think it's a very apt comparison. And I think, I think with that movie and, and this movie, do well is to put you in a position where you feel the same amount of uncertainty and have to do a similar amount of introspection as the main character. Oh, you know, worse movies that do this, um, like a formulaic drama or a formulaic comedy. And, you know, in a comedy's point of view, it's it or like the point of a comedy is not necessarily to make you undergo any great level of introspection. So I guess that I you can write off that level of it for that, but you'll understand what I mean still, is that here's a situation that has a very obvious solution. And we're really just kind of waiting to see the characters do it, right? Like, uh, it, I, I'm struggling to think of something completely off the cuff here because, man, it's been a long fucking week. But point being, like, yeah, a lot of movies, it's like, I, I know what has to happen here. You know, you've got to decide if you want to break up with this person or you found out they're cheating on you. And now you have to come to terms with that or move on or um, you have to find the courage to ask that 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 guy out or whatever. And it's not so much a heavy question that you have to ask yourself or if it is, it's the one question you have to ask yourself for the whole movie, um, which, you know, has its ups and downs has has its goods and bads but but what this movie does so well is it puts you in many positions that this woman finds herself in and gives her the same uncertainty that you or i would have and makes you ask yourself 
those exact same questions. Like I'm in a relationship with a guy that I agree with on most things and he makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. And I like our society friends. I like where we live. Um, I disagree with some of his views and some of his, um, his comics, I, I, I guess that, that maybe don't represent views that, that I hold, but uh, I mean, I get to see a, uh, the side of him that I like, but do I like being this complacent? Do I like being tied down or feeling predictable or, um, you know, having going down this road? Do I want kids right now? You know, like, and that's a very nuanced position to have to be in. It's not pro- uh, projecting it as being just like, I'm bored. This is boring now. It's not. And she doesn't show it when she you know, ends up breaking up with uh, that guy whose name I don't remember. Um, um, like she doesn't. Axel. Axel. Thank you so much. She doesn't just break up with him and go, I'm bored. Fuck you. I'm leaving. She's like, she has a lengthy conversation with him and, and really like walks him through it and tries to comfort him and be reassuring, and be a good partner. Like, which really, I mean, she does that so much. It really makes you question the title of the worst person in the world because it doesn't feel like it at all. Um, and that's just such a level of intimacy and depth that you don't really get out of, honestly, even most good drama films. Mm-hmm. It, I know we just talked about uh, it feeling real, but they felt like real people. I mean, how many, you know, quote unquote, uh, romantic dramas or romantic comedies or anything involving relationships just make you rip your hair out because the characters involved just feel like the most insane people to ever roam the earth. And every decision is rooted in just complete mind boggling ass backwards logic that don't make any sense. Every decision felt like it was, if not thought out, the reason it wasn't thought out was because it's one of those, you know, like it's one of those character um, arcs where she learns not to be impulsive. That's one of the things she even remarks on. Like, I need to stop just doing whatever the fuck I'm telling myself to do on any given day. And I just need to like settle myself out. And she goes through that character development over the course of the film. And it shows the consequences of future decisions or past decisions and that past impulsiveness and all of these little things. It's just felt like a real fucking relationship, which was such a breath of fresh air that really shouldn't because I'm sure there are plenty of those films out there. It just never happens to be the ones that we see. Right. And it's the idea of what they're grappling, like the concept of stakes in the film, I also find fascinating. So like, you know, the her and Axel have their first dis- disagreement, I guess, or um, that thing where she or she felt unsatisfied in some way early on in the film when she was at his, Axel's gallery showing or whatever that was. And she goes off and, and meets the the guy that she would end up in a relationship with with later. And God damn it, I have to start learning some of these people's fucking names. I know. Oh, yeah, that was the weird one. Ivand. Ivand. Okay. Um, so, and that's where she meets Ivand. And they come up with these arbitrary decisions where it's like, we'll do something that, um, we're going to basically do something with our genitals that is not sex, so it's not sexual, so it's not cheating. 
And so that was watch each other pee. That was fucking hilarious, first of all. Um, and so delightfully stupid. And but you yeah. still get it. Like a worse movie that would be them actually cheating. Mm-hmm. And you know, the scene of them walking away would, would be so immediate with the you know tied to the physical intimacy that they had shared. And instead, it was this moment of uh, intimacy in a different way where it felt like the stakes were lower, but the creativeness of it felt somehow more impactful. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was weird. And because the title of that quote unquote chapter was cheating, my immediate thought was, oh, they're fucked. Like he's going to cheat. Like it's just going to happen or she's going to cheat something like that. Like, ah, fuck. Like she is going to be the worst person in the world. And then that was just so bizarre that it completely threw me off. And like the assumption was, oh, she's still cheating. But it then was like, well, I mean, I, I guess I I can't say I would be comfortable, but at the same time, like if my significant other told me they did that, I would just be so confused rather right. than angry or upset. No, and I think that also plays very well into the concept that here is a woman who's just kind of trying to figure it fucking out, you know, like, yeah. like she, she knows she doesn't want to sexually cheat but she wants to feel intimate. And so here's something that kind of fills that need a little bit. Like I have a boundary. I'm not willing to cross, but I might have some other way to feel this. And it's that like real time adjusting to your own emotional intelligence. That is just so cool to, to watch. So let me let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. When the movie starts and it tells you that there is a prologue and epilogue in 12 chapters. Oh my god, I you... immediately checked how long the movie was. Right? Oh, I was like, <laughs> like dude, so that tele card left no. the screen and I I I was I was kept thinking like, oh, it didn't say 12, right? <laughs> like there's no way that that just said 12. And there's 12 with yeah. a prologue and an epilogue. Yeah. What did it feel like it to you? Like, did it feel um, how, how did it feel? I guess I should ask. I don't know if I liked that. It told me how many chapters it was, because at that point I just started counting. Um, but honestly, like it, it didn't seem very long. And if it wasn't for the fact that I was continuously counting exactly how many chapters were left and it's like all right i know how much time has gone by like just doing the math in my head i don't think i would have noticed whatsoever i think if i saw it on the screen we're on chapter 11 like two hours and 15 minutes through this i would have been like fuck what are we in for like how how long am i going to be in the seat um but i thought it was fine yeah i thought it played very nicely it didn't interrupt the feeling at all i I, i'm not sure if it's the reason this movie felt so short i I was just checking its runtime convinced it was going to be like an hour 40 
uh, it's two hours and eight minutes long. I I'm shocked. I, I really didn't think it was that long. Um, I, th- and I think it, it worked totally fine. Um, yeah. And the film also goes through over the course of that, you know, not just the things that are happening directly to Julie, but also her opinions on some of the intricacies of how she interacts with the people in her life and how she interacts with her views. And one of that's uh, one of those storylines concepts is projected in the idea of feminism in the film. Uh, one of the first articles Julie writes, which is denoted in the chapter entitled uh, Oral Sex in the Age of Me Too, uh, Julie writes about the idea of, uh, I guess, getting face fucked, essentially, but still enjoying it or calling herself a feminist afterwards, um, which you know clearly shows some idea of, of considering how we as people and how her specifically as a woman interacts with the idea of oral sex and, and maintaining some sense of power. And then it comes back up later on in the film in chapter nine, when uh, she sees Axel on TV d- talking about the feminist critiques against Bobcat. And, you know, that was one of her critiques early on too. And she had a relationship with this person. Like there's a lot of interesting angles approach to that. Um, which I really think also contributed to the idea of shaping a person and how she is approaching her situation and her life, because those ideas of how you view yourself morally and view others morally, one, isn't is truly an ever shifting target and two, does affect your relationship with other people and how, you know, whether you want to have one or whatever. Um, it was, and it was, I, I'm not sure if I've seen it displayed in that way before on screen, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I want to, I want to read a Bobcat comic. I want to know what it's, it is. It's I want to see the butthole. All yeah, buttholes. I want to see the butthole. But see, when they do the mushrooms and you see like what the illustration of the Bobcat is, and then are, they show you the poster for that movie again. It is fucking hilarious. It's very funny, yeah. But hey, whatever. Not my cat. Not your bobcat. Um, uh, I don't want to go... We've also been talking about this one for a little bit now with a third movie to still talk about. I don't want to linger too long. Um, but it, it, you know, it ends up en- ending, essentially, with uh, Julie's first boyfriend in the film actual dying in the hospital uh julie being pregnant and then having a miscarriage uh and then ultimately in the, ultimately in the epilogue she does find a new career she becomes a photographer which was one of the several hobbies she had um or p- potential career paths she had she had played with early on in the film and sees that ivan uh is actually married to one of the actresses in the film she's working on and has a child. Oh, I thought that was her. Oh God, that's different. That's so different. No. Yeah. The actress is married to Ivan. Happenstance. Sheer happenstance. Also it's Norway. There's like nine people. 
So yeah. Wow. I was going to like go into like when we talked about the ending, how it's just like, well, I didn't like that ending. It was just kind of like, oh, and we just all fall into our little, you know, comforts and blah, blah, blah. It all just works out in the end. But no, that's so much better. I, like I, 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 you know, and I want to close out a little bit before we get to, I, I do want to close up with Julie, but because I don't want to close out on Ivan. He wasn't a big enough part of the movie for us to close out the discussion on it, but it was so interesting to see him as a character. Cause I kept thinking to myself, he is her. This, this is, this is the same character for all mm-hmm. intents and purposes. It really is. Yeah. And it's so interesting to see them intersect in this way and to have it not work out. And for her to rebel against him and for him to be a mirror of herself that she can yell at and, you know, see in this epilogue like fashion for for how things essentially honestly would have gone if she didn't make, you know, if her in, in, a, in an alternate reality, I, I guess. And to have that contrast, I think one painted a better picture of of her as well, but also lent a lot of sympathy for what she like when she gives him shit for not having the energy to be anything more than a coffee worker. Obviously she's also yelling at herself for not being anything more than a bookstore worker. Um, But you also, you get so much sympathy for a guy who seems like he's trying his best. And that's what the movie's trying to do with, I think almost everybody in the movie is like, here's a bunch of people just trying their best. We're just trying to get through this shit, man. <laughs> we don't know what we want. We don't know what we're supposed to do. We're pressured to do so much. I'm just trying to get through this shit, man. Yeah. And I mean, and, and to close out on Julia, that, that that that's all she's trying to do, too. You know, the end of the movie is really just a series of punches in the gut that she handles extremely well. Yeah. largely probably I would assume anyway, or, or my reading of it because of what she had been through and the emotional growth that she'd had earlier on in the film. Yeah. Yeah. You live and you learn. I was, uh, I was really hoping I have a better idiom uh, ready, but I did not. No, but I mean, like I, that is true. I mean, like you and I, everybody on the, on the face of the earth, like we, I, I would choose to believe you and I anyway, are better people yeah. and more emotionally intelligent today than we were however long the distance and time between the, oh four years it said that four four years ago uh in part because you go through things and you come up with a better understanding of not just your own motivations and your own wants and and your own uh reactions to things your own emotional reactions but also other people's and being able to remove yourself a little bit from uh your own mind and and be a little bit more sympathetic or empathetic to others and i think that's what the movie portrays excruciatingly well which is that's what julie becomes at the end of the movie i really i really like that yeah the focus on empathy i really like that um i feel gutted for uh axel throughout the course of this movie you know he is a saint I mean, his character starts off being like, hey, I'm like kind of already in love with you, but 
you're going to leave me at some point and I can't like take that. I need you to, I, I just need you to, to end this now before you hurt me. And then it's like, no, no. And then nonstop, just always being like the guy that's there and always just being, Hey, like, yeah, he's not perfect. Nobody is, but he is an incredibly stable anchor for her and, and always so supportive and, Boy, he gets just fucked around in this movie real good. Yeah, I'd love to spend like a good 20, 30 minutes talking just about his interview scene, but not the time. Oh, right. That was a great. That was probably one of my favorite scenes of the movie. Easily. Uh, it was it was so, so interesting and managed mm-hmm. to inform so much about how Julie thought without really without her saying a fucking word. Right. Um, but again, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, so let's go with, uh, let's go with ratings and reviews here for this one. So we can move on to our last movie for the day. Um, I, I give this another four, maybe, maybe I'm feeling frisky enough for a four and a half, but I thoroughly enjoyed this and hope to watch it again soon. Yeah. Um, I honestly, I'll give this a four and a half. I, I think Dune's better. I, I definitely do think that I wanted to get Dune a five, but it's not, it's, honestly, it's been so long, and we'll see what happens with two. But by all means, I think, in my mind, this was worthy of a four and a half. Right or whatever I gave another round. I, I feel like it was on par with that. That sounds about right for that movie, too. Um, yeah. But, yeah. All right. So then let's do our last movie for the day. As we now journey to a different uh, European nation, talking about Belfast, which uh, was written and directed by Kenneth Branagh. The film stars Jude Hill, Louis McCaskill, and Catriona Balfa. Um, also, by the way, in this movie are, you know, Dame Judi Dench and Syrian Hines. Um, you know, just throwing those out there. The film had an estimated budget. Uh, ooh, hold on. Wasn't there. Wasn't there. I have no idea. Uh, I see box office somewhere in the neighborhood of like 42.7 million. So uh, I, I th- may, maybe the movie costs more. Maybe the movie costs less. I don't know. Uh, the tagline for the film is no matter how far you go, you never forget where you came from. That is a horrible tagline. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know how much it, it because by all means they don't need to remember where they came from they're they're there yeah because they don't no matter how far you go they don't go anywhere yeah that's that's kind of the point of the movie (laughs) is that they don't fucking whatever uh the film is nominated that honestly fits west side story better honestly it does it wow yeah it really does that's the tony character right there Mm -hmm. all right all right uh this Whatever. film was nominated for seven Oscars. Is nominated for Best Original Screenplay for Kenneth Branagh, Best Motion Picture of the Year for Laura Berwick, Kenneth Branagh, Becca Kovacic, and Tamar Thomas. Best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role for Syrian Hines. Best Sound for Denise Yard, Simon Chase, James Mather, and Neve Adiri. Best Achievement in Directing for Kenneth Branagh. Best Achievement in Music Written for Motion Pictures Original Song for Van Morrison for the song Down to Joy. And Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role for Dame Judi Dench. 
Um, so lots of big categories for this one. Can she Film- legally change her name to Dame Judy Dench, or is that a title? That's a title. Mm. It's the female equivalent of Sir. She is she is knighted, I suppose. Um, the film is about a young boy and his working class Belfast family experience the tumultuous late 60s. Uh, for those unfamiliar or those familiar with the uh, goings on of Ireland at this point in time, this is essentially the beginning of the Troubles. So uh, I guess let's get into it. I have kind of mixed feelings about this movie. I, I feel like I'm kind of half in, half out on it. Um, I, saying, yeah. I so thoroughly enjoyed the tone and tenor of the film, and I was delighted by. Uh, and I'm I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing Siren Hines' name correctly. There's an accent in there, and I've never heard anyone else say it. I'm guessing, so sorry if it's wrong. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed Dame Judi Dench and and Siren Hines in, in this. I thought they were phenomenal. Um, but I I think plot wise, it left a lot. Uh, to, to I don't know, it, 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 it didn't land all the way for me. Like I felt like there was supposed to be yeah. a level of um, coming of age that I'm not sure ever really clicked for me. The the stuff about uh, you know your 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 dad's trying his best and we're really broke and financially it's tough and you know uh, pops is is trying to help raise you and all that like that's all i thought fine I, b plot wise i thought that was fine but the a plot of coming of age i i i never really cared I and mean, i'm not sure it ever really was displayed in a way that connected uh what, what tell me about what, what, what where, where you are with this one uh i understand completely um i thought jude hill did a really great job being uh a little kid in the troubles. Um, I did not outside of empathizing with the fact that he was a little kid in the troubles. Uh, there was really nothing there that dragged you in. Like uh, I did not feel any compassion towards really any of these characters. Um, you know, it, 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 I know it's, at this point, we probably or I probably overused this, but it just didn't move the needle for me at all. You know, like it was just it was a story. It was a well produced film, like it was a well done, well made film. But story wise, I just uh, I, I, it, it did leave a lot to be desired. I'm actually even going to push back on the well made part of it in a certain respect, because I I don't know about you, but I have never seen a film that was more obviously produced on the back lot than this movie. Oh, you're right. Dude, the exteriors that opening shot of oh the, my God. Uh, the street. Was yes. Insane. It, I, it, dude, it looked like a fucking high school production of an outdoor set. It looked like a fake city from a movie that was trying to do a spoof of a movie like this, like Blazing Saddles. Like it, it was wild. It would like it literally jumped out as the first thought I had of this film in its entire like that was the first thing that I saw. And yeah. I just immediately brushed it aside as like, oh, I'm sure it'll get better. And I just never really thought about it again. 
because my mind just kind of carried watching this. But yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to know what what was the production company? What studio was this shot at? Because oh, that sure know. as hell did not go to Belfast. So actually, I was I was looking into it. They did go to Belfast. This film Why? was shot in Belfast. But so my thinking on it though is just because it was shot in Belfast doesn't mean they actually use any streets. Like, I would not be surprised if you told me that they built this town and then just kind of built it in Belfast. Okay, I see what you mean. Because, I mean, there's no way in hell those are real streets. I mean, like, we're talking concrete, not cracked at all. Sidewalks in perfect condition. Houses without a single chip of paint. And everything is at max six feet apart. Like an unreal narrowness to the streets that just could not exist. I don't want to go back and rewatch this, but I feel like I need to just to make note of these individual things. I, um, I mean, I, I, I literally paused the movie in the early going because I was just shocked at how ridiculously bad that looked. Wow. I must know more. I, I actually need to I, know more. I looked but. at the, I never usually look at what the movies are, are nominated for outside of the main categories. Um, unless I have a reason to, or we're recording. Cause we, I, you know, I say them at the start of, of each movie. Um, but I went to check to see if this movie was nominated for best production design. Cause I was like, it can't be, <laughs> it can't have been nominated for it. And when I saw that it wasn't, I was like, yeah, fucking right. It's not. That's a very Oscarsy thing to do to have it be nominated for such an award. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so to, to talk about the movie itself a little bit, the movie is trying to do a number of things that I don't think it does successfully. Uh, there are some that I, I think that it does. The relationship, once again, between uh, Dame Judi Dench and Siren Hines, I think they do a wonderful job with that. And same thing with the relationship mm-hmm. between Jude Hill and Siren Hines and Judi Dench. I think that mm-hmm. those scenes all play perfectly. But the display of financial trouble, I don't think is portrayed very well. Part of that is because their house is in such great shape. Um, and not even in just a, we're not obviously destitute. Like, it looks like they just fucking built the thing. And then it's absolutely immaculate. And food insecurity doesn't really come on screen very much. So the idea of poverty. Or, of candy. Or, right. Outside of a Turkish delight. Who likes Turkish delight? Um but the idea of financial hardship really only comes in scenes where they're saying, boy, howdy, don't you hate all this financial hardship? And without seeing it, I don't think that really plays, you know? Yeah, I. Um, like there was this, the scene that, where they're if arguing. Took, if you took that storyline out of the pitch, I don't think this movie is made any differently. Uh, exactly. Like, that's what I was about to say. Like the scene where, where the mom and dad are arguing in the kitchen and she starts throwing plates at him because uh, he, he, you know, he's like, uh, we're still, I don't fucking, I'm making numbers up, uh, 500,000 pounds in debt to the bank or whatever. Uh, why would you? 72. Sure. Um, I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, wait, <laughs> what? 
And also, if like, you are that financially destitute, you just had to buy a brand new set of plates. I thought the same thing while watching that. Like, man, plates must have been wildly cheap back then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I spent so much money. Not like a lot, but I spent enough. I spent real money anyway on, on like a nice set of plates. Those look, those were ceramic. Those were expensive. But whatever. Um, so I don't think it does that super well. The friend that kept trying to recruit the dad to join the cause, um, which really would eventually be something of a, a, a precursor uh, to like the IRA or the, um, the equivalent, the um, Protestant equivalent thereof. That was so subdued that every time it came up, I was like, oh, Right. Okay, waiting for that to pay off. Never really did. Um, didn't need to be in the movie. Um, I, I get you're trying to display how close to home the violence is or that these people are, that it's a societal issue that is very, very, very present in this geographical location with the people we interact with frequently. Man, I didn't. like You picked a character, though, that's really the dad, barely in this movie. So to have him be like the main conduit for displaying how close to home this was not very effective. You know, talking about this and worst person in the world back to back, it feels like we're talking about the films with both the most and least character depth we've had in a while. Mm. Or at least it seems that way. I feel like none of these characters outside of the grandparents had any depth to them whatsoever. Dad's an irresponsible drunk. The mother is a worried mother. The child is a child. And then the grandparents had their thing going, which was something. But, you know, it's it, it didn't do much to make me care about any of these characters for that exact reason. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Not at all. And that's the thing is I, I kept getting bored. Ugh, I hate to use mm-hmm. that word. It feels so strong, but I really kept getting bored. Uh, I say it all the time and I'll say it again. I, I got bored. Yeah. I, I mean, like the, the film's climax and conclusion, which is we have to leave Belfast. It is too dangerous. Let's go move to England. Felt super underwhelming. I mean, the kid threw a temper tantrum early on when, when you know he was sitting on the couch and his parents had tried to distract him with uh, toys and treats and going to like a arcade or some shit like that or amusement park or something. Um, and it's like, that was it. And it's it's like if you're going to tie yourself so fervently to a location because of an emotional connection, I feel like that emotional connection has to be very on display. You know, like I'm not a fan of the movie, but they did a better job with the king of Staten Island, making Pete Davidson feel very connected to Staten Island in the year like 2017 than they did. With making with Kenneth Branagh making a movie about himself in the place he grew up at a very pivotal time in history for that nation, uh, they really did not tie geographically themselves to Belfast 
very much so at all in this movie, which is mm-hmm. wild because the movie's called Belfast. Yeah, but just that's how you know it's in Belfast. Why do they need to show you when it's the title of the film? Honestly, if they didn't tell me, you'd have no idea. And that's the other weird thing about it. Like the movie is named for the city, but the movie feels so small. The city doesn't get to feel, I hate to use a sex in the city trope, but the city doesn't get to feel like a character. <laughs> you know, like I have no semblance of understanding of what is being left. I haven't seen most of the city. And what I have seen are look like back lots poorly dressed as a town. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Fuck you, Kenneth Branagh. Right. And and your fucking childhood too, you dumb bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Go make another shitty Shakespeare adaptation. Uh, you're the worst part of Harry Potter. Ugh. I was actually thinking about that while watching the movie that Kenneth Branagh has to be the most successful dude who feels like he's never made a good movie, right? Uh, yeah, because he's you know, what highly, highly uh, praised for his both directing, you know, even before this. And I feel like he's one of those guys where it's like, oh, he can't do anything wrong. Uh, I feel like he's he's a, a guy that probably almost, I should say definitely, was a very, very renowned stage actor in England. And so England keeps going like, he's so good. You guys are going to love him. And then he does really bad movies and I'm like oh I, I do not like this no 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 stop and here's the thing please. Josh I've never seen a uh, play that was done in England so I don't care right that's what I'm saying like I, that doesn't translate to me so uh, no 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 please stop <laughs> these movies are not very so, good fuck off yeah like Kenneth Branagh is undoubtedly the worst part of um, murder on the Orient Express. Like his accent in that is wild and he is not good. <laughs> like that, that's a fact. His version of Macbeth is not very entertaining. <laughs> like I, I have, I have vendettas, I guess, against Kenneth Branagh for being not the best to watch. Uh, he was also kind of a douchebag in Harry Potter. I don't know if I could name another film that I've seen him in. So, uh, and I think I think it is. It's a lot of stage stuff. He is a Shakespearean yeah. actor, and that carries a lot of weight in England and also nowhere else. <laughs> Go win those awards. Leave our awards out of this. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah, this really I I loved so much the um Van Morrison score to this film. This is a this is a sampling of some of Van Morrison's greatest hits and I love and adore Van Morrison. I had no idea he was from Belfast, but he actually is also from Belfast, um which makes that pretty cool, but I love him so much. His music is great, so I loved that. But um, it was also kind of hilarious where it'd be like a uh, mildly dramatic scene followed by in the dark and lonely streets to the bright side of the road. And it's like, oh, wow, that's a weird fucking pivot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably doesn't fit the best, but at the same time, eh, you got Van Morrison. Let's enjoy it. You know? Yeah, that's really what it, like, it definitely felt like. We got him. 
Oh, yes. All right. Put him in. Yeah. Um, like, honestly, I'm looking at the cover to the film on IMDb and it's, you know, like it's Jude Hill leaping over people with a makeshift sword in one hand and a garbage pail lit as a shield in the other. And it's that degree of youthfulness and playfulness that the movie actually just doesn't fucking have like at all that it desperately wants to have. Um, and it's a shame. I, I, I kept so wanting to like this mm-hmm. and not hating it, but not liking it. Yeah, I mean, I am. I can't say I'm very uh, was expecting to be very moved by this or was very moved by this. All right, well, then let's wrap it up here. Uh, you know, is what it is at this point. Uh, I, I'll give it a give it a th- um, debating between a three and a half and a three. I'll be nice. I'll give it the three and a half. It's fine. I don't think you're like if you have to watch this to be an Oscars completionist, like what we are currently doing, I don't think you're going to walk away from this going like, fuck, God damn it. Why did I fucking watch that? I also don't think you're going to super duper enjoy it either though. Uh, I am going to give it a three. I I don't think if you were to watch this out of nowhere, you would be upset. I also don't think that if you, uh, Missed it, you'd be missing really anything. Oh, well, hard agree on that. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, you're really not missing anything. All right, so then we'll leave it there on that. Um, those are the three. Again, we're not picking movies for the next episode. The next episode will be an Oscars discussion, a post-Oscars discussion. Now that we'll have watched at least all of the best pictures, everything but two acting awards. Again, the only two movies that we haven't gotten to that are uh, major award contenders, and they're only one award each. So, uh, you know, we're, we're going to do our best, but uh, they're both the lead actress categories, Jessica Chastain in The Eyes of Tammy Faye and P- Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers. Those are the only two movies we did not get to for the major awards that we'll be discussing Um so we're going to Corn and I will try to watch those before our discussion. We might not. If you would like to watch those, go ahead and watch them. They will not be talked about specifically. They'll only be talked about within the context of that one category. But, you know, feel free. And then at the end of that episode, we will Corn and I will once again revert back to making picks for ourselves to watch for uh, the following week. Um, Movies Corn? we want to watch. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, you got anything you want to say before we wrap up? Oh, for the love of God, please. All right. Well, on that note, if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at Big Screen Juice. We do not post from there very often, so go to follow Corwin. You can do so at Corwin Hell. I'd like to follow me. You can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. If you'd like to send emails to the show, you can do so at Juicing the Big Screen at gmail.com. And until next week, y'all have a good one. Uh-huh.